What's up, KSAP? James Ford, that's me. Let me talk to him. Let's get it. I'm sick of ball dropping. I'm sick of ball dropping. Chopping up these topics, man. I'm sick of ball dropping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Hey, let me put you on game. These other podcasts, I hear talking this, but ain't repping the same. This my bro KSAP. Chopping up topics for your optics. From politics to your top picks. Tune in, you gotta watch this. Exclusive material for your radio. Stop what you doing and listen, we smashing all competition, you better jump on this wave, somebody pass me a mic, man I got something to say, And now, your host of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast, the man behind the mic, KSAC. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAP. And today we're going to kick off season two of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. And we're going to start the new season with what everybody else has been talking about. The Last Dance, the 10-part documentary of the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. And we're going to get off into it. And I have my man, Mr. V, another member of the Simply Ball Dropping crew. He's on the Simply Ball Dropping hotline. He's going to be here with me to break it all down. Welcome back to the set, Mr. V. Thanks for having me, Kickstarter. Glad to be back. Glad to be back on the podcast. All right, great. We're going to get right off into it. You know, everybody's been sitting around because of this pandemic and ESPN did a great job with the state the world's in by dropping this 10-part documentary since we don't have no live sports going on and giving people a chance, even the youth, a chance to witness one of the greats to ever do it, the GOAT, Michael Jeffrey Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And we're going to get off into it by starting off, Mr. V, a quick breakdown what do you make of what jerry krauss said in that 97 98 season to phil jackson that this was going to be your last dance what i took from that so far and and living back in that era i looked at that as jerry krauss maybe forecasting or what he believed to be looking in the future thinking this run, this dynasty has to come to an end and him looking or thinking that he's forward thinking to say, hey, I'm going to change the ship. We can rebuild and get it back up and running again before it goes down. And I think he looked at that and my personal opinion, I think he was influenced by some of the comments, some of the ways he was made to feel from Scotty and Michael and some of the others and his relationship with Phil Jackson. I think all of those things figured in there. I know during that episode, the episodes they were talking about, uh, and you hear some critics saying maybe he didn't feel he was in the spotlight enough. And maybe that's true because back then wasn't like now where you have social media and the online persona and all the stuff like that. 
So maybe that was a part of it too. But you would think having so much success with that team, with that coach, and the way they were making a run, that by today's standards, most GMs, most owners would want to keep those pieces together and try to ride it out and get as many championships as they could from that. But that's just my take on Jerry Krause back then. And the thing about it is what you said about, you know, your own personal takes. Everybody has their own personal takes. And when you said the situation about, you know, Michael and Scotty and them, you know, acting different toward him, him not being in the spotlight enough. I just felt that Jordan and Pippen felt slighted when Jerry Krause came out and said that organizations win championships, not the players. And Jordan and Pippen took offense to that. And, you know, without the players, how is the organization going to win a championship? I agree. That's a good, good point you bring up, KSAP. And thinking back on how Jordan has portrayed himself, how he's being portrayed, you know, during the, uh, this documentary, the series there, that, that makes perfect sense. He was very competitive. Uh, he, you know, knew he was the best, felt he was the best um, in all scenarios. So I, I agree with that. That's a good point you made up. I think there, there was a big part of him and Pippen thinking that even though they did receive a bulk of the accolades and the the uh, sports figures, the players are the ones in the, in the limelight, uh, that Jerry Krause trying to take more credit than what they think he may have deserved probably rubbed them the wrong way, and that's what fueled some of their animosity towards him and then uh, ultimately led to the, the team going the way it did. But like you said, Jordan... You know, he used a lot of stuff as personal motivation, not against certain players, but certain things that was saying was being said in the media. Jordan used that as fire. Like he wanted to show, nah, this person's not even close to me. This person can't do what I do. And another thing, everybody was giving, you know, Jordan grief about the Scottie Pippen contract and giving some backlash to Scottie. Pippen's contract in that first episode. Now, what I get out of that is the contract was out there. Scotty didn't have to sign that contract. So with the seven years, 18 million, and he signed that contract, I put that on Scotty. I mean, I don't think Jordan should have got backlash on that because if you notice back in the days, them players that were signing them contracts, they wasn't no big time contracts. You know, Jordan didn't start making X amount of dollars into his last couple years when he was signing them $25 million contracts, $30 million contracts. So for Jordan to get the backlash on Pippen's contract, that's something that Pippen, you know, he signed. And, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, Jordan was being selfish. Now, I don't think Jordan was being selfish. That's something that Scotty, you know, wanted to do. So he signed the contract. What is your take on that? I look at that as, and you got to remember, we all watch this series, we're looking back at the past, and a lot of us, uh, you know, have the tendency to judge the past on today's standards. Um, and looking back saying, you know, like they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. that's always going to be true. But you're absolutely right back then that the, the deals, the money, the contracts weren't, weren't to the same level by, by any standard the way they are now. And 
listening. Jordan got a lot of backlash for that from from some. Uh, but if you hear him, like he said, when he was talking about the whole part about the activism, you know, not, not being a political guy, not getting into activism, he just wanted to play basketball. And what I take from that is he was focused on being the best basketball player on the best basketball team and winning. And I would look at that as him saying, hey, Scotty, you're another player. You have experts. You have uh, attorneys. You have agents that are... You know, you've hired them, of course, to help you navigate those contracts, just like the rest of the NBA players. So you're responsible for your part, handling your business. You signed that contract. You did it. You deal with it. And now let's get back to your job, and and which is playing basketball and winning games. So I don't give Jordan any, uh, you know, any heat for not going back and, and allegedly not trying to do more. I think the way he's, his personality has shown He's taking care of himself. He's all about the business of basketball. And if you're a player on his team, he has expectations of you. And all that other stuff, you know, he leaves on the players to handle that stuff themselves. Once you sign the contract and say you're going to play Scottie Pippen, now I expect you to come out here and play to your fullest ability and deal with that uh, business end off the court in another fashion, but don't take it out on the team. I totally agree with that. And and just along them lines that you said that, Um, There was another key point that stood out when Jordan thought that it was selfish of Scotty to wait late in the offseason to get that surgery going into that 97-98 season. Do you think that was a selfish act on Scotty or was that something Scotty was trying to show um, Jerry Krause after he made that statement that Phil's not coming back? They really wanted to stick it to Jerry Krause and, you know, after he signed that contract, Going into the off season, you wait till you know the middle of the off season to get surgery, so you you're not starting the season out with the team. How do you feel? You know that was depicted on the documentary that Scotty was being selfish from the words of Michael Jordan. I think you know the Michael playing with Scotty and having a closer relationship with him back then. Um, He'd be close enough to Scotty to know, uh, we're, we're going to assume, know the details about the injury and when he could have gotten the surgery as opposed to when he got it. But um, from from watching it, from listening to Michael, from remembering things back in the day and some of the headlines, I do believe that was probably a part of it on Scotty's end to kind of show, you know, I hold, I'm going to hold off, I'm going to strategically, you know, set to have this surgery. And it is going to be a way to kind of show, okay, if you, you I'm under a contract, I can, you, you're, you're making me play here, and I know I'm worth more than what this contract uh, is, even though I signed it. This is another way for, for Scotty, in my opinion, to show his value. Okay, if I'm injured, if I'm recovering from surgery, if I'm not on the floor, you'll see how much I mean to this team, and that'll be one way he can, you know, he can kind of stick it to Jerry Krause a little bit uh, through that through the media, through his other players. I'm guessing Scotty hoped there'd be enough backlash to come back that, you know, maybe things would loosen up and, uh, you know, there could be some changes. Um, but, you know, history played out the way it did. Yeah, it, it played out the way it did. And, and a lot of people don't understand, man. Scotty Pippen is one of the most underrated players that ever played in the NBA. You know, when the top 50 greatest players came out, he was, he was part of it. And, you know, Scotty, like, like Jordan said, I wouldn't have these six championships without Scottie Pippen. And a lot of people got to 
take in consideration with all these superstars that we have today that they've had other star players and superstars alongside of them to get these championships. And we saw in the first three-peat with the Bulls when they played the Lakers, you know, a lot of people don't understand game one when they played the Lakers. If it wasn't for Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen to make that move and put Scottie Pippen on Magic Johnson, I felt that the Lakers possibly could have beat the Bulls in that championship. But they made a concerted effort because game one, you know, Magic was taking it to Mike. And then game two, Pippen got all up in his grill and made a big difference and that freed Michael Jordan up. So then you're going into, you know, the second second year of the championship against Portland. You know, this is something that was in the documentary. Everybody was talking about the comparisons between, you know, Clyde and, and, and Jordan. And Jordan wanted to show the world that, hey, he's not on my level. So that game one, like Magic talked about, they he went to visit him. He was talking. He said, you know, I'm going to give it to that dude tomorrow. It's going down. Michael Jordan came out and had them six threes and shrugged his shoulder like he couldn't miss. So he took it to Clyde, just wanted to show everybody, like you said, that, hey, I'm the best basketball player on the planet. You know, there's nobody that's even coming close. But it's a lot of things that led up to what's going on in these three-peats. Then Michael Jordan took some time off. Then he came back for that next run on the next three-peat. But we're going to go back to the first episode when leading into the third episode when they was talking about Dennis Rodman. Now, Dennis Rodman, you know, he didn't play for San Antonio. He played for the, the bad boys. But the thing about Dennis Rodman coming over is Dennis Rodman had a hell of a talent. But there's a lot of coaches that didn't want him to do the things that he was doing. But when he got with Chicago, Phil Jackson coached him and let him do what he wanted. Because like Jordan and Pippen and Phil said, when Rodman was on the court, he did his job. We didn't care what he did in his personal life. What is your take on that? I, I think that just shows how much, and, and you and I, we use this word, you know, frequent guru. Uh, to me, that shows how much of a, a coaching guru Phil Jackson, you know, really was. You know, he had the best player in the world, Michael Jordan. He had one of the top 50 players in Scottie Pippen. You know, he had a well-oiled machine. You know, the parts of it work well together and they produce they produce championships it, it, it was it was it was proven and shown and for him to you know to, to and I remember back then they got got Rodman you know the newspaper headlines the sports casters talking about that is going to fit Wildman's you know kind of a, a wild character will he be able to blend in with you know the discipline and how they played with the Bulls uh, but he did Phil Jackson knew how to manage his people uh he knew what worked best, and, you know, it showed through the documentary and obviously through the play on the court. And I remember watching it back then. You know, we remember Dennis Rodman from the, the Detroit days with the bad boys and the Spurs and how he played. I personally thought back then, looking back at the highlights now, that Dennis excelled because he was allowed to be who he was. He was brought in for what he could do on the court and his value and accepted for his personality and how it was off the court. And I think for him, to hear him talk during that documentary was was interesting because the way he came across, he felt like he was embraced for his talents, accepted for his personality. And to me, it seemed like he felt it was an honor 
to be able to go play with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and the Bulls because of what they represented. And I think that kind of rejuvenated him a little bit when he went out there because you saw the effort. We, we saw back then the effort he would he would exhibit on the court. Yes. Guarding centers, getting rebounds, constantly in motion, constantly playing defense, getting under the other team's skin, and doing the things, the little things, you know, that that Bulls team needed to win to free up Michael and Scottie to do some of the other things that they could do. That, that's absolutely correct, man. And Phil Jackson, like you said, like we use the word all the time, guru, and, and, and that shows, you know, the coaching ability of a Phil Jackson, you know, and Jordan and Pippen saw it too. Um, you know, we bring this guy in. They both wanted him in. We're going to let Dennis do what he has to do off the court. But as long as he comes up to show and he plays ball, that's all we care about. And if you go back and look at, you know, when he took that, you know, 48 hours, trip to Vegas with Carmen Electra, partied all day, you know, drank all day, shots, and then they said Jordan had to go get him from the hotel. But when he came back, and like Jordan stated in the documentary, they was at practice and they was running laps, and they said that they had to catch that first person up to him. But they said when Dennis Rodman started running them laps, Dennis didn't skip a beat. All the drinking and everything, when he got on that practice practice facility, when he got on that court, it was all about basketball. So you're absolutely correct. Phil Jackson did a great job of meshing them guys together. And like you said, Jordan and Pippen, they knew what they had. They knew what they had. And Rodman said it. You know, in that championship run, without Rodman, he don't think they would have won these championships. And you got you to tend to agree with what Rodman said. And, you know, the way he broke it down, he said it, you know, without me, I don't think they win them championships, which he got a valid point. And we're going to go back since you talked about the Detroit bad boy Pistons in that series when, you know, Chicago had to get through Detroit and they came out with the Jordan rules and they beat Jordan up and Jordan and them finally got over the hump. Isaiah got a lot of backlash from when they walked off on the court without shaking their hands. And like you said earlier about looking in past tense and what's going on in the NBA today, do you think that Isaiah still should be getting backlash from that episode? I looked at that, and it was interesting, because I remember how it was back then, looking at it when they left the court. And, and when you see the, that, that footage of him walking off and when he goes to walk past the Bulls, he kind of shrugged his shoulders down, kind of, Look like he ducked a little Duck, bit. Like, yes. I'm trying to, to sneak out of here. You know, I know they can see me and get a, get away from here without really acknowledging those guys. Um, I, the backlash that he received uh, from it, I think it's warranted not just from today's standards, but back then standards. It's, it's always been, and you and I know, you know, it's been a sign of sportsmanship, whether you win or lose, you know, you go out from, from when you're, as a little kid, when you're playing any type of sports, you line, you remember you, we used to line up and you'd walk and you smack all the other teams, you know, the players on the other team's hand, win or lose, whatever. And, you know, he made his statements, um, you know, that that's how it was with the Celtics and some other things. Uh, however, uh, looking back at that, you know, I still think that the criticism was warranted. Even him, uh, you know, Isaiah in saying that, you know, hindsight 2020, look, if he could go back, would he do it differently? Yeah, I'm sure he'd go back, and he wouldn't have given a pound or shaking hands, congratulations, whatever, even though they were disappointed that they lost uh, with that. But I do believe it's warranted. I believe it should be looked at 
in the context of everything and not be blown up anymore just because it's Michael Jordan and just because it's Isaiah Thomas. I think people should look at that regardless of who the two athletes is. Substitute any two athletes and feel the same way about it. Uh, me as a Michael Jordan fan and you, I know how I felt back then, especially watching the old highlights with you know, how physical the Detroit Pistons are, and even watching it, um, you know, the past couple episodes, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm yelling, and, and you know, feeling like you want to go out and, and avenge Jordan, and, and, you know, go at the Detroit players for, for trying to take out your guy, but, you know, calmer heads look at that and say, yeah, Isaiah, I think you were wrong, and that, that you guys took the wrong approach, you know, you, you were salty, you made a point to not go out and shake Jordan's hand or or dap up any players on the other team. And it's just something that you have to live by. Let bygones be bygones, but it is something that was a, was an issue. It's pointed out now, rightfully so, and, you know, you take it for what it is. Yeah, that, that's a great breakdown, and I'm going to piggyback on a few things. And I think Jordan felt slighted because if you look at the previous two years when Detroit knocked them out, Jordan shook every hand of the Detroit Pistons players to congratulate them. He said, even though it hurt, but he still did it because that was showing a way of sportsmanship. And that's the way Jordan was raised sportsmanship. You know, he came from North Carolina, you know, under Dean Smith and you show sportsmanship. So that carried over into the NBA. So even though them losses hurt, like he said, it hurt like hell, but he still congratulated them and he moved on. And he used that for personal motivation, them losses that stung to come back to try to get over the hump. And it's a few things that Jordan said that stand out when he was sitting there talking about the way they was playing physical and the way they was beating up on Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen was reacting to a lot of things. The shove that Dennis Rodman gave him and all the lumps that Lambeer was giving him. And Jordan said, once you start retaliating, they got us. But once they stop retaliating, then Jordan said the Pistons couldn't do nothing with them. And, you know, when they knocked off the Pistons, when they when they ran right through them, if you notice all the physical hits, they never responded to them. They just kept playing basketball. And like John Sally said, once they never stopped responding, we couldn't do nothing with Chicago. What is your take on that? I think that, that highlights, you know, the mindset, you know, how Jordan – and the Bulls adjusted to that, and to me it showed, like, like Michael Jordan said, you know, he felt uh, they were clearly the better team uh, than them, more talented team, better offensively than the Detroit Pistons, and that the Detroit Pistons had to resort to those type of tactics to try to slow, slow them down, and it worked, uh, you know, the first two years when they were, uh, you know, when he got their, champion, their championships, but that shows... You know, to me, how the team responded to that, being the Bulls, how they, they took that challenge and ignored that physical, you know, that, that overly, in my opinion, overly physical play that Detroit tried to bully ball that they, they were famous for and show that doesn't work anymore. It's a new sheriff in town. It's a new team in town. And regardless of what you're going to do, we're still going to come out on top, as they did, you know, in convincing fashion as well. And I think that also went towards, uh, you know, why – Lambeer and, and Thomas and some of those didn't want to shake hands because of the way that they had approached the Bulls, the way they were successful against the Bulls with that rough style of play. And then, uh, you know, when it didn't work, 
and they were beating convincing fashion uh, convincing fashion I think that's the way they, they approached it you know kind of like a bully you beat up you know you beat up the kid in the neighborhood a couple times whatever um, you get used to that and when the kid beats you up back badly you know now you're salty you don't want to you know you don't want to shake hands you don't want to uh, you know have that camaraderie like normal competitors would if they got into a to an altercation and, and were able to scrap it out and then shake hands at the end of it so you know, I, I think that's what, what contributed to that um, in the Bulls' success, that mindset. They can't stop us. No matter what they try to do, they ain't going to beat us. And it showed, you know, in convincing fashion, like I said. Yeah, that's totally correct. And, you know, it's a lot of things that, you know, Jordan did as a basketball player. You know, when he was on the court, he was in the sanctuary and he was real great. But there's always some negative side to Michael Jordan that the media has depicted and in this documentary, they show a lot of his gambling habits. Now, back in the days when we was growing up and we watched it, you know, we really didn't care about a player's personal things that they was doing off the court. As long as when we turned that TV on and our star player was playing, we just watched them play basketball. We didn't care what their personal life was because we was cheering for them as a basketball player, not what they do in their personal life and what they stand for and what they believe in. So the media took some of his things that Jordan did with his gambling and ran with it. And and just like um, um, what's his name? Uh, David Aldridge said, you know, gambling to Mike is like if he's spending ten thousand dollars, that's just like us spending ten dollars. If you got it, you got it. So do you really think Jordan had a gambling habit or is this something that it was just his competitive juices taking over that he wanted to be competitive in everything that he that he did? To me, that's, that's a great point. To me, that it, it was clear how Jordan and how competitive Jordan uh, was. And still is. He even says that, you know, and, and during his interviews when they, they talked to him. So I'm hoping the, the younger generation that didn't have the opportunity to see him play and realize why he is the icon that he is can see that, that, that competitive drive is, is unmatched. I haven't seen or heard about nor met anyone else that has that level of competitive drive in all aspects, uh, you know, of their life. And I think that's just what it was there. He, he, he enjoyed He enjoyed gambling. Which, like you said, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not against the law. There's plenty of people out there that enjoy gambling. You so say they like blackjack, uh, you know, shoot. Case up, you and I used to shoot dice, you know, you know, outside your house on the corner just because we, we enjoy doing it. We yeah, didn't really gamble correct. that much money because we didn't have money back then. But we enjoyed doing that. And Jordan had the resources to go and gamble with an outlet for him. He made his money through Nike and his endorsements. And his NBA salary, it wasn't hurting him or anyone else. It's just one of those things he did, like playing golf, like smoking cigars. And I think, you know, again, looking back at that back then, through today's lenses with social media and, and how much uh, a famous person, a player, uh, how much they're under the microscope 24-7 in all aspects of their life, back then it wasn't like that. Like he said, every superhero, they look for a chink in the armor, Superman has kryptonite, Batman has an alternate identity, whatever, you're on that pedestal, people are going to try to chip away at that pedestal and look and see what's behind, what else is going on besides this, this image we have there. And I think that's all they had 
back then, and the media sensationalized that because that was something different than the scoring championships and an almost perfect play that he had on the basketball court. So I think that was something that got exaggerated because they really didn't have anything else to talk about outside of what they've been talking about for years. Um, and, and that's where it came from. I don't think he had a gambling problem. I think he just enjoyed gambling just like he enjoyed other things that he did, and that's one of the things that, that got highlighted. If you notice, case app on there, when they asked the others if they thought he had a gambling problem, I, I don't remember hearing any one of his teammates, any other players that he's been with, anybody else saying Michael Jordan had a gambling problem. And these are people that were around him, that played with him, friends, family, all. I've never heard that besides the media saying maybe he has an issue. Does he have a gambling problem? Because he's locked down too old with the Knicks and he's, he's Atlantic City, you know, gambling with his father. And now maybe that's the cause of the issue. Maybe there's a problem there. So I think he's just an average person who enjoyed what he enjoyed. He did it. The sums of money didn't matter because he had it. didn't hurt anybody. It was his money in his pocket. And that's just something else he did. And that's something else that they had to talk about back then besides, you know, being a phenomenal basketball player that he was. Yeah, you made a great point about, you know, the gambling in Atlantic City when they was down 0-2 to the Knicks. Uh, but Jordan said it himself. He just wanted to get away, wanted to go spend time with his family. So him and his father took a trip down to Atlantic City. And, you know, they tricked off some money. And it is what it is. But Jordan would use any negative publicity about him and turn it into personal fuel and motivation. And we've seen that in the documentary where he's been going at the likes of Clyde Drexler, you know, the likes of Dan Marley, you know, you know, Charles Barkley won that MVP. Jordan said, nah, that should have been my MVP. So he used that as personal fuel. But if you go back and look at what Jordan said about the gambling, he said, if I had a gambling problem, you know, my wife would have left me. I would have put the house up. I would have gave up the cars and I would have gave up the watches. He did neither of that. So he he controlled what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? He didn't go into, you know, giving his stuff away. You know, like you said, Jordan had plenty of money. He could afford to do what he wanted to do. And Magic said it itself, like on the Olympic team, them cats was in there playing cards all night long for money. Even Barkley said Jordan always wanted to buy the pot. Jordan didn't want nobody to have no upper hand on him because when your money's long like that, you can do what you want to do. And since we're talking about Dream Team, um, it's a lot of speculation and a lot of talk about Jordan was the main reason why Isaiah Thomas was held off of that Olympic team. Do you agree with that? That's something. Thinking about that, I think Jordan, you know, was was a big component. I think he was probably the biggest component that led Isaiah to not be on that team. But I don't think he was the sole component, and it was just him who didn't allow that to be happen. Like you said, when they had that phone call, you know, and they said, hey, you know, uh, that player won't be playing. Okay, we're going to assume they were talking about Isaiah Thomas, but that's not to say, like Jordan said, he didn't say, hey, don't have him on the team. They called Jordan to ask him, hey, do you, we'd like you to play. This was Jordan's, uh, in, in, in oh so many words, this was his conditions of playing. They could have said, Again, they, they chose, Jordan didn't choose the Olympic team. The Olympic team was formulated. So he, he may have had 
a vote, if you want to say. He may have had influence. Obviously, he did, but he didn't have the final say on who they want, you know, who they were going to pull on the team. So I think he had a big influence. I think looking at the roster of the people there and picking the best team that you can put together, uh, which, which, you know, from the way I look at it, doesn't necessarily mean the best players because if you have a, all your best players are guards, you're not going to have a team full of guards. You need centers, you need forwards, you need some other people on there. So putting that team together, they might have looked at, okay, with these players we have here, this is how we construct this team, this is how we feel it's going to work both on and off the court. And, oh, by the way, yes, this will be to the acceptance of Michael Jordan because we want him on the team. And if we really want him on the team, then we need to make sure the team is, is going to be constructed in a way that's going to be good for him. But they could have. I don't blame Jordan for voicing his opinion or having his, uh, his, his attitude towards Isaiah Thomas, but I don't put the fault or blame on him for Isaiah Thomas not making that team because it wasn't Jordan's team to make. He was a player on that team, the highlight player on the team, but he was just a player on that team. Yeah, and I'm glad that you touched on it about the stipulations that Jordan, when that phone call went down, you know, Jordan just asked who's on the team, who's coaching the team. And like you said, I don't think Jordan was a, he was the highlight player of the, of the Olympic team. But like you said, there was other voices that, you know, said, hey, if Isaiah's going to be playing, I don't want to be a part of it. And, you know, it's a lot of names that were thrown out there, but in the documentary, they didn't. They didn't name a lot of names, and like um, Isaiah said, the next day when um, was on, um, you know, um, the Stephen A. Smith um, first take, um, they was asking him um, about the names, and Isaiah's like, name the names that said it. Nobody could really, and um, Stephen A. was like, well, I'm not going to say no names, you know, without their permission. So I don't think, you know, a lot of people are going to come forward, but they always going to put the blame on Mike for Isaiah not being on that squad. But that 92 Olympic team, you know, that dream team was a beast, man. So, and another thing is Magic said a lot of things that, you know, came to came to light about that Olympic team, about, you know, guys going at it. They was competitive, but then they knew that Jordan was the man when, you know, things started breaking down and, you know, it got real competitive and they knew that there was a new sheriff in town. So on that little segment that Magic said, what do you think about Jordan on that 92 Olympic team coming in, stating his claim, letting everybody know that he was the best? I'm glad you brought that up. That, for me, you know, I used to watch the, the videos on YouTube where Magic would talk about that, where, where Larry would talk about that and other players on that training team would talk about those practices and how intense they were, Chuck Daly talking about that. Uh, even Jordan himself, and to me, uh, kind of like Jordan said, that would have been the highlight of that Olympic season right there. I, I would have loved, and I'm sure you would too, KSAP, to, you know, as a fan, such a fan of the game and everything that the game of basketball brings, you know, the camaraderie, the competitiveness, you know, how the most skilled players in the world, how effortless they make it look when they're playing against each other, and the talk, and, and I would have loved to be in that gym just to hear some of that talk between the, the players. You have the greatest players on the planet going at it high intensity. This is their chance with all of them gathered together 
to really show what each one's made of. And, and I think they said it on the uh, on the documentary. You know, you had Jordan, the alpha of the alphas out there, um, establishing himself as the best players. And to me, that's something. You have the best players in the world, the best players, you know, the, the top 50 uh, people sitting out there, and each one of them says, hey, that's the guy. You know, you, we, you know, we all have pride. You and I play basketball and other sports. You know, we've seen other sports. You know, players have a tremendous amount of pride, even if they're humble. But it takes a lot for these players who were at one time or another considered the best at what they do to conceive and say, you know what, that guy right there, he's better than me. I don't care. Charles Barkley said it. Magic Johnson said it. Larry Bird said it. They were kind of past the proms at that time. But Jordan took over that practice, and he made it clear to everyone in that gym who the top dog was, no questioning all of them to this day, you know, come back and say, yeah, Jordan, you know, he was the best. He's the best player I played against. He was the best player on that team. Uh, we couldn't do anything to stop him. He showed who, who the new sheriff was in town, put his badge on his chest, tilted his hat and kept it moving. While Magic and Larry nodded their head and said, yeah, he ain't lying. Yeah, <laughs> that's the guy right there. That's absolutely correct. That was a great breakdown. And a lot of people, you know, for the young the young people that are watching the documentary, <clears throat> they'll understand. And, you know, we're going to get off into, you know, the, the last segment that they did when the, the tribute to Kobe, um, rest in peace, Black Mamba, um, that Kobe said it himself, that everybody always wondered, you know, who the best was, who would win one-on-one, but with Kobe's statement about, you know, if you're looking for a one-on-one match, I mean, I got everything that I did from Michael Jordan. I wouldn't have the five championships without Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was my big brother. I could lean on him for anything. And, you know, he made it perfectly clear that if you're looking, you know, for somebody to be Mike one-on-one, I got everything from Mike. What was your take on that? I, I just like how Kobe, how he put that, how he admitted that even though most of us you know kind of speculated or kind of knew that that's how he patterned his game and hearing the story behind how that interview happened um you know even validates it it even more you know you have people that sit up in interviews and quote say the right thing or what they feel is the right thing um at the right time but to me that was Kobe being honest saying hey look I got everything I got from that guy right there. I've studied his moves. I watched him. I talked to him. I saw the work ethic he put in there, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to be as dominant as that, and I think it's a testament to how great Kobe was. Kobe, in his own right, 81 points, five championships, MVPs. You know, he has a resume we don't have to go over, which stood for his, you know, stood for itself. Yes. But for uh, an alpha dog like Kobe to say, yeah, that guy right there, that's, you know, uh, without him, there is no me there. It's just a testament to, to, you know, how great Jordan was and how much of an influence he was. And you could see that not only in Kobe's game, but in the way he carried himself in his personal life, the way he carried himself off the court, his, his work ethic and practice, you know, and the way he carried himself in social settings, even down to some of his interviews and the way he walked and celebrated some of his game-winning shots yes. and how he would talk to the media afterwards. And if you, you close your eyes and you take away the voice a little bit, you can hear, you know, patterns of Michael Jordan yes. and his responses and things he did. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you broke that down, man, so eloquently, man, and that, that was special, and that was a, that was a nice send-off. Um, and, you know, there's four more episodes left, and so far my takes... 
from these first six episodes is Michael Jeffrey Jordan was a stone cold killer. He's a savage. Anything that the media said about him that he didn't like, he used that as fire to go out and show their, their opponents that there was nobody that can compete with him or could compete with the Chicago Bulls. And a lot of people sit there and, you know, make all these comparisons between, you know, Mike and Kobe, uh, Mike and LeBron. But my take is you can't compare none of them guys to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I mean, he he's the GOAT. And, you know, this documentary, it, it sums it all up so far for me that some of the stuff that he did on the court, which we've seen majority of this footage, but as you get older, you can appreciate it. And the way he's talking about it, when they when they asking him questions about certain players, the Clyde Drexlers, how they try to compare Clyde to him, but he wanted to show the world that he, he can't hold a candle to me. When they was talking about Dan Marley was, you know, this and that, he wanted to go show him up. And just like the Olympic team, when, you know, Jerry Krause was going over to Croatia and said that Coach was going to be the next big star in the NBA and the way Jordan and Scotty took it personal against Jerry Krause, not Tony Kukoc, for them to go show, you know, Tony Kukoc that, you know, whatever Jerry Krause is saying about you, it ain't going to cut. We're going to show you something different. And if you can't, you know, get past us, you can't play in the NBA. But, you know, Tony Kukoc, he came back in the, in the gold medal game, had a better showing, and that got Jordan and Pippen's respect. But at the same time, they wasn't trying to show Tony Kukoc up. They was trying to show Jerry Krause up. But like I said, Jordan is the GOAT. All the comparisons need to stop. And he's just, you know, in my lifetime, he's he's the, the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. As much as I, you know, give props to Kobe, much as I like LeBron and Allen Iverson, but there's nobody that really can hold a candle to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. What's your take on that? K-Fab, I agree with that. 100%. You know, you and I, I came up in that same era. Um, Come Fly With Me, um, Dazzling Dunks, uh, NBA Bloopers, all those. We had the VCR tapes you put in and watch, and we tune in the Sports Center every night to see highlights of what Jordan did. How many hours did you and I spend together and separately <laughs> at the basketball court trying to dunk, trying to do the moves that we saw Jordan do? You know, from the shoes to how he carried himself to all that stuff there. And this documentary, and it's great that, that you know, behind the scene looks, because we've seen the games, we've seen a lot of, you know, the live games, we've seen the footage, we've seen a lot of the highlights here. The behind the scenes, the hearing from other players, hearing Jordan talk about his mindset, his approach, and uh, like you said, what opened my eyes, just how competitive he is in every aspect. And there's nobody like that. To me, you know, he, he's the greatest of all time that I've seen. I've never seen or heard anybody have that type of mindset 24-7, 100% where he, he's not the type of guy, you, you and I know this, where you go up to a shack and like, Shaq, stand in the back, you know, I'll probably dunk on you or something like that who would take that in jest. He would be the type that wouldn't smile or laugh if you said that and would take that serious yes. and make sure you knew, hey, don't ever you know, mouth those words towards me again because I'm just that good no matter who it is that said it to him. Um, to me, you know, looking at that for the, today's players, no matter what your sport is 
or what's your occupation to be the best? You look at that and take a chunk of that and say, hey, he not only proved it in, in, in his play in the way he carried himself, but he made sure everyone knew that, that no one's going to hold a candle to him. And I'm with you, KSAP. You know, it, it's not fair to him. It's not fair to today's players, the LeBrons, the Kobe's, Alan Austin, any of the other players to try to compare them to them. Let them be their individual self. They'll stand on their own feet and be famous and great for who they are, like Magic, like Bird, like some of the others. But Michael Jordan stands on a pedestal, not above everybody else, but he's to me, he's in another category. He stands over on his own Mount Rushmore. It just has his face on there, and that's it. Now, I can't see in my lifetime anyone else being able to carve a face over there on his, his Mount Rushmore. So to me, uh, I'm enjoying every minute of this docu-series. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it, just to get some more behind the scenes and more Michael Jordan mindset, his approach to hear some of those uh, you know, conversations they had behind the scenes you know, with him and other players and coaches and officials and just really soak it up and see an aspect of Jordan that we didn't get to see back when we were watching him play in real life. So I, I co-sign you 100% on him being the greatest of all time. Man, I totally agree with that, man. You broke that down so well. And like I said, we got four more episodes left. And, you know, we will revisit these last four episodes. But before we get out of here, when you was talking about, you know, us growing up, going out, doing all the things that Michael Jordan did, we watching Come Fly With Me, Playground, you know, the truth be told, man, Mr. V, we could have our own document, um, docu-series if, if somebody was going around filming us. And that would be great for the people's eyes. But, you know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But, you know, we got a lot of things that we did, you know, playing basketball, going up in the snow late night, you know, midnight playing basketball, trying to dunk it. But we did a lot of things, man. But like I said, this, this docu-series, it showed a lot about how great Michael Jordan really is and you know, for him to speak about it now and the way he's talking about it, just straight savage. So is there anything else you got to say before we wrap this episode up, Mr. V? I just want to say I appreciate another episode on Simply Ball Dropping, especially to converse and, and chop it up with a topic that's uh, close to the heart like this with MJ, uh, this docuseries, and, and the way it impacts us now and the way we, we it impacted us and influence us coming up. I, I'll tell you this, uh, KSAP, before I turn it back over to you. In watching that last, uh, the other night, when I watched that the other night, had it not been as late as it was and, and had a little rain, I'd have been out on, on the, in the backyard on the basketball hoop trying to drop 30 against imaginary opponents like Jordan did. I, I was that anxious. I was that motivated just watching him and hearing him, uh, you know, relive those clips that I, you know, I got a adrenaline like we used to do back in the old days and we yes. go out and, and shoot a couple baskets and, and try to put a couple down and on a lower than 10 foot hoop you know at this age but nonetheless <laughs> it brought back those old feelings and those old memories like we used to do back in the day and that's one of the good things about sport and one of the great things about uh, uh, that Jordan brings to the people of our generation older generations and hopefully you know this next generation coming up Man, that's great, man. And it's always a pleasure, you know, having my co-host on the show with me, breaking it down the way you do. And once again, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Once again, I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAP. We're going to catch you on the next one. Deuces. Thanks for listening to the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share on all major platforms. 